0: You're listening to a sermon from the Pulpit of Redeemer Church, a PCA congregation in Hudson, Ohio. For more information, visit us at RedeemerOhio.org. Well, if you would turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 20. (laughs) This morning, we're going to be focusing our attention on verse 28. You'll find this on page 930 of the Pew Bible. And we're going to be reading verses 25 through 28 together. It's chapter 20. And we'll read verses 25 through 28. in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Of all the substances known to man, blood is one of the most interesting and sacred. Ray Serco could probably teach us a lot about it because he has worked faithfully in the blood labs for decades. But there's one thing I know about blood. God has attached sacredness to shedding of blood. For example, in Genesis 9-6, it says, shedding man's blood is a capital offense and it's worthy of capital punishment. And that has not changed. Again, the Jews were prohibited from eating blood, which is why they always drained their meat, because it's sacred. Under the Mosaic Covenant, sacrificial blood was considered to be sacred. It was appointed by God as the great symbol of atonement in Israel. So as we read in Hebrews 9, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. So clearly, we must conclude that blood is a most sacred substance. But when the blood of which we speak is that of God, it is especially and infinitely so. In his farewell address, Paul makes reference to that most holy blood. He is exhorting the shepherds to be faithful in their duty to the flock, because the sheep for whom Christ was crucified are to be on their minds and in their hearts. The great motive for doing so lies in the fact that they belong to God. They are his people. They're obtained by the Lord with his own sacred blood. And I doubt that there is a more striking and profound statement in all of scripture than verse 28. After all, even children learn that God is a spirit without flesh and blood. So how can this be? Obviously, I think Paul is referring to the atoning blood of Jesus Christ that he shed at the cross. You knew that as soon as we read it. But the apostle did not say the blood of Jesus. That's not what he said. He referred to the blood of God. And it's one of those plain and unambiguous declarations here of Christ's deity. We all know that Jesus is both God and man. Two distinct natures united in one person. Our confession puts it this way. Jesus is very God and very man, yet one Christ, the only mediator between God and man. So what Paul is assuming in this statement to the Ephesian elders is what theologians call the communication of attributes. The communication of attributes. This is what it is, because of the unity of Christ's person, God and man, one person, the attributes and the works peculiar to each nature can be ascribed to the person of Christ. For example, Jesus could suffer and die only in his human nature, not in his divine nature. God can't die. Jesus could suffer and die in his human nature, and yet elsewhere, Paul says, to the rulers of this age crucified the Lord of glory. How can that be? Well, the attributes of the human nature are ascribed to the divine person. In the same way, he tells the elders that God obtained the church with his own blood. Christ's human nature is united to the divine person, so human blood is ascribed to God. And as God, he never could shed blood. But the divine person, through the human nature, did shed blood. He bled in his human nature. He did this with his own human body. And the point is, if God so values us to bleed and die, shepherds must value us as well. We must exercise the greatest care and the utmost concern over believing souls. It doesn't matter how weak they may be. At all costs, elders must look after, provide for, and protect the flock of God. The sheep are of tremendous value to Jesus, and they should be of value to us. And therefore, we see how lofty is the calling of those who are appointed as elders in the church. I'm astounded that mere men are entrusted with the apple of God's eye. Elders are appointed to care for those whom God bought at a great price. And if that is not a sobering truth, I honestly don't know if anything is. If that doesn't motivate men to do everything to care for the sheep, I don't know what will motivate them. The church belongs to Christ, and as under-shepherds, elders must care for her. And there is no equivalent to the price that our Lord paid to redeem the church. He stopped at nothing to redeem us, even shedding his own blood. And that implies that in God's eyes, the saints are absolutely priceless. Every single one. They're highly valued. And I want us to consider in the time that remains Christ's blood by looking at one noun and three adjectives. One noun, three adjectives. First, the noun. The shedding of Christ's own blood was considered to be a purchase in Scripture. You know, the whole world belongs to God by right of creation. He spoke the universe into existence. It's his. But the church belongs to him by right of redemption. He obtained it at a price. Twice in his letter to the Corinthians, Paul tells us that we were bought with a price. And that means, or the means by which he redeemed the church was by dying on that cross. In other words, you and I were redeemed by the payment of a ransom, which was his blood. In ancient Israel, both property and life could be redeemed by a payment. According to law, if I'm a Jew and I lose my inheritance, it could be redeemed by a relative. Leviticus 25 If your brother becomes poor and sells part of his property, then his nearest redeemer shall come and redeem what his brother has sold. It's not lost. And one of the most beautiful and touching stories in Scripture illustrates this truth. It's of a nobleman who redeems a widow. Boaz was the kinsman-redeemer who paid the price of redemption for Ruth. And both she and her estate were preserved, and she enjoyed the blessings of marriage and motherhood. And the story is meant to be a type of what Jesus did When he shed his blood on the cross. He knew that his mission was to pay the price of redemption for our lives. Our Lord himself described his own death as a ransom for our souls. He said, and I quote, The son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He was well aware from early on, that his life and ministry would terminate in an act of self-sacrifice. He knew it. And that would be the price of redeeming everyone who believes in his name. Can you imagine that? So Paul could write this astounding declaration to the Galatians. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. The shedding of his blood was the highest price that's ever been paid for anything it was and will remain the greatest transaction that has ever been made and how wonderful it is that Christ's blood purchased us the greatest of all acquisitions I don't think there's any word in the English language that is more honorable than redeemer why do I say that I think it's more honorable even than Savior because it reminds us that we were purchased at a great price. Jesus ransomed us from evil and secured for us the greatest of blessings. And the whole design of his mediation was to reconcile us to God. He satisfied the demands of justice. He fulfilled every requirement of the law. And in so doing, he delivered those who believe from that wrath which is coming. God could never have extended mercy by simply winking at sin. From the very beginning, the Lord threatened death as the punishment for sin. And if his holiness is to be upheld, then sin had to be punished to the full extent of the law. If Christ had not satisfied the demands of that law and paid that awful price, there would be no salvation. We wouldn't even be here this morning. It was God's mercy that moved him to save and it was God's justice that required him to punish. So a dilemma. If possible, God would have redeemed us by some other way. Without satisfaction, if it had been possible. If by some other way he could have redeemed us, he certainly would have chosen that. But you see, satisfaction was the only way, so Jesus had to give himself by shedding his blood. That's why he's precious to us this morning. Had he not died, we would not be redeemed. And do not think that you can be saved by anything but the precious blood of Christ. Any other theory, and that's all it is, a theory, is false and destructive to eternal souls. There is no other way. It's shameful and destructive to the wisdom and the grace of God to even suggest such a thing. Any mercy that we receive is obtained because of the shed blood of Jesus and hence all the covenant benefits that we enjoy are very, very expensive. Do we have the forgiveness of sins? It was obtained by the blood of God. Do we have the hope of living in heaven? It was obtained by the blood of God. Do we have salvation from that dreadful penalty? It's obtained by the blood of God. Can we pray and worship and sing songs of praise and partake of the supper? That privilege was obtained by the blood of God. All of our hopes and all of our privileges were obtained at the price of God's blood. And if you are a believer, he purchased you. And if you're not, he didn't. That's the noun. But then the first adjective... Describing Christ's blood is this, that it was personal. It was his blood. It wasn't the blood of angels. wasn't the blood of men. It wasn't the blood of goats and bulls. It was the very blood of God. It was Christ's own precious blood which coursed through his veins. He assumed our nature. He became our representative. He accomplished our salvation. And now he sits at God's right hand. And our king is in heaven, which he reopened and re-entered because of his blood. You see, God could have demanded the blood shedding of every single human being. He has that authority. But then not a single soul would have been saved. In that case, Jesus would not have experienced that joy for which he suffered. Because no mere man could redeem the church by his sin-tainted blood. That's what we read in Psalm 49. No man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life because the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice. I want you to know that not even all the combined blood of the entire human race could suffice. The only sufficient ransom was the very blood of the God-man Jesus. And when he died on that cross, and when he shed his blood, he paid the ransom price in full. Because in Psalm 130, we're told that with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. Isn't that glorious? Plentiful redemption, enough for all and enough for anyone who believes Because, you see, to obtain our salvation, which we talk about week in and week out, the ransom had to be sufficient to satisfy its demands. So the Lord Jesus put himself under the obligation to become our Redeemer. Had the whole world been given for our salvation, that would not have been enough. Not even the universe itself is as great a sum as the blood of Christ. Because he is life itself. He is the author of life. And he laid down his life once for all as an offering for sin. He himself personally accepted the responsibility to pay your debt and mine. Didn't send angels, didn't send men didn't send any creature, he came himself. He took upon himself our nature and our debt and subjecting himself to the law, he perfectly fulfilled its requirements and then putting himself on that cross, he satisfied all the demands of justice. And thank God it was the blood of his own person. I'm thankful that it was personal. Only the dignity of his divine person could give his blood such infinite worth. And I ask the question, why? Why did he do that? Why did the eternal Son of God assume human nature and pay our debt? And of course, the only answer is this, because he loves us. It's certainly not because we're lovable or worthy or valuable in and of ourselves, it's because he forever loves his cherished bride. Out of love and mercy, he willingly endured the stroke of death. And so in Acts 4, Peter says, there is salvation in no one else, no other name under heaven. And the Bible encourages us To encourage one another as we see the day drawing near. Isn't that statement interesting? The day. What's he talking about? Apparently, so familiar was this day to the readers that no further explanation was given. Encourage one another as you see the day drawing near. So, whether that means the day of death or the day of Christ's return, what they're saying is it's time to prepare now. Because that day will be an awesome day. The Bible makes it clear that it's going to be a terrible day and we should be prepared for the day because we'll all appear before the judgment seat of Christ and each one of us is going to give an account. That's clear. There's no possibility of hiding, and there's no cross examination, and there's no quibbling about the facts. John says, I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. No quibbling, it's all recorded. So the first adjective is personal. The second is priceless. It hardly seems necessary for me to say, but the blood of God is infinitely valuable. Peter calls it in his first epistle precious blood, and he does so for good reason. It's precious because, as I said, it's united to the divine person. And therefore, the worth of that blood is infinite. Just think, because it belongs to the king of kings, it is royal, princely blood. And no blood was ever as worthy as his. No blood was ever as valuable. You can pull, if you could, all the blood of all the creatures of all ages, and all of it is not worth one drop. Of the blood of God John Flavel puts this well he says creature blood bears no more proportion to the precious and excellent blood of Christ than a dish of common water to a river of liquid gold because the Son of God is infinite a corresponding value attaches to his blood and though as human blood, it's finite, when united to God's Son, it's of infinite value. Yes, there's plasma, there's red cells, white cells, platelets, that's all there. But it's united to God. The Bible tells us that the life of the flesh is in the blood. So justice demands that the lifeblood for one who breaks the covenant be shed. Of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. That's justice. So blood satisfies the demands of the law. You break the law, you die. That satisfies. That's what the Son of God paid. But the identity of the one who died, as I have said, gives infinite worth to his human blood it was more than sufficient to satisfy for all our sins. It went above and beyond what divine justice required because the law demanded the death of a sinner and it did not demand the death of God's Son. The law is satisfied if the sinner sheds his blood and pays the price with his life and spends eternity in hell. God wished to save his elect he wanted to purchase his people and that required the price of infinite worth so only the blood of the perfectly innocent son of God would suffice and God was willing to pay it he was willing to give the costly blood of his own son and thus the Lord Jesus paid the ransom for our souls down to the very last penny And so we sing, alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my Savior die. Would he devote that sacred head for such a worm as I? Staggering. His one single sacrifice has infinitely more precious worth than all other sacrifices combined. And it was from the one sacrifice that all those former sacrifices derived their virtue. And the point is that the blood of Jesus is priceless. The high priest of old offered up animals. Our high priest offered up himself. They offered the blood of goats and bulls. Christ offered the blood of God. They offered many sacrifices... Jesus offered up just one. And that one sacrifice far exceeded all their sacrifices, just as one son is worth more than a thousand stars. Just think what it accomplished. Everlasting salvation. I think that must be truly precious that ransomed sinners from Damnation. (laughs) We're told that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven, and for him to lay aside that wrath is stunning to me. But in Christ, what he does is takes us into his arms and establishes everlasting peace. Friends, only the blood of infinite worth could bring about something like that. With his blood, Christ obtained the imperishable and unfading and untainted inheritance that you'll enjoy forever. Forever. It's so vast, that inheritance, that no mere human being can survey its infinite extent. Surely, surely is on the brink. And she's going to enjoy that in a matter of hours, maybe. The inheritance, its boundaries, and its limits are beyond our ability to comprehend. What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. And it's only priceless blood that could obtain that. So it's a purchase. His blood is personal. It's priceless. And finally, it's potent. That is to say, and I'm sure you've gotten this already, it was sufficient to purchase the church. All the elect of every age. It didn't just gain the possibility of salvation. It gained salvation itself. And that's where the Arminians go wrong. They refuse to give God his glory. John was convinced that the blood of Christ cleanses from all sin. Total forgiveness. It expiates sin. Every sin. Any kind of sin. The most vile of Sinners. And is this any wonder because the blood of Christ that he shed was the very blood of God? His righteousness is more potent than all created beings combined. That's why the writer says you've come to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. There is forgiveness with God. The greatest sinners can find redemption. They need only apply by faith that priceless, potent blood to their guilty souls. That's it. That's the offer. There's no sin it cannot cleanse, and there's no sinner it cannot purify. And what's more, conscience, to be satisfied, can ask no more or less than God himself. God's satisfied, so should your conscience be satisfied. The blood of Christ. His demands for satisfaction have been met. So be of good cheer, Christian. Your sins are forgiven. And we have to remember that its efficacy is intended for believing sinners. It can cleanse the greatest guilt, but only if one trusts in Christ. Whatever a sinner has been, whatever a sinner is, he can be washed or she can be washed by the blood of Jesus. Paul says, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, I received mercy. And the potency of Christ's blood reaches as far back as Adam himself, and it reaches as far forward as the last elect sinner who draws breath in this world. And his blood will be as fresh and vigorous and efficacious after 10,000 years as it was when it was first shed at the cross. That's potent blood. So Christ's blood was a purchase, it was personal, it was priceless, and it is potent. There are three observations briefly I'd like to make. One, I think this is a powerful reminder of the infinite evil of that sin which plagues us. We talked about that in Sunday school. If our sin required nothing less than the blood of God, how evil Must it be? Infinite must be the evil and the guilt that demands such a price as that. Every sin, even the least, is infinitely wicked and deserving of his wrath and curse. And yet I would say there are few truths people deny or reject more than this one. Oh, come on. Some sins are worthy of damnation. I get it. Judas Iscariot? Yes, he deserves hell. Hitler, Stalin, Osama bin Laden? Of course. But those trivial sins that I commit on a daily basis, can that possibly deserve damnation? The Bible's perspective is clear. Every sin, even the least, deserves wrath and curse because the wages of sin is death. And no sin is so small but that it deserves punishment. And no sin is so big that it cannot be forgiven through the blood of Christ. Any infraction, as we talked this morning, even a bad thought would require the death of God's Son. So give thanks for the grace and mercy of God who was willing to shed his own blood But that leads to the second observation, which is this. It demonstrates the matchless grace of God the Father, and it exhibits the unparalleled love of God the Son for those who are called saints, because we're told in Ephesians 1 that in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. (laughs) The forgiveness of sins. What joy is there in that. It was rich, divine grace that provided a mediator to die on the cross, and it was rich, divine grace that made him willing to do so. He left the joys and the glory of heaven to suffer as a criminal to save sinners. Paul says one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And I don't think there is any illustration that I could give or any analogy or metaphor that would truly and adequately express that kind of love. It's totally insufficient. The only thing we can do is look at the cross. That's the supreme demonstration of God's love. But then third and finally, what this does, I believe, is highlight the infinite value of Of the humblest child of God. These little ones that we're training as worshipers. Infinitely valuable. Because things of great value are purchased at a great price. You know that. God paid the ultimate price. And so you and I and every single believer are infinitely valuable to him. We are Christ's own peculiar treasure. We are his own precious possession. And if you somehow feel unappreciated or misunderstood, you can draw comfort from that truth. Your spouse may not cherish you in the way that you want. Your family may not value you. Your friends may not esteem you. People may not understand you. But God loves you. He takes pleasure in you, and He values and esteems and understands you because He paid for you. And the very blood from the veins of His own beloved Son was shed to purchase you so that He loves you in spite of your sins and your weaknesses, your faults and your defects and all your failures. He loves you. And if you're the only person in the world, if you are the only one Who needed redemption, he would have sent his son just for you. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, how can we estimate the value of what took place at the cross? where the blood of God was shed for our salvation. All we can do is humbly thank you and praise you and rejoice in our Redeemer, even Jesus Christ. May the Holy Spirit enable us to sing with joy and gratitude, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. For listening, for more information, or to connect with us, visit us at RedeemerOhio.org.